Welcome to CEO and Founder Magic, the podcast for entrepreneurs with stories to tell about your success. I'm Sheila Clefcorn, professional fractional CMO for B2B companies and host of the podcast. I'm deeply committed to transforming the world through technology, one company at a time. So stick with me until the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be our next guest with just 15 to 20 minutes of your time. I'm glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to the CEO and Founder Magic podcast. I'm excited today to have Ravi Karani with me from uh, MySutro. Ravi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sheila. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about your company and how you got involved with it. Yeah, 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 sure. So <clears throat> Sutro is a robotics platform. Um, we basically, the best way of thinking about it is we make a floating laboratory. So our current product is at mysutro.com. Um, it basically floats inside of a swimming pool or spa. And via floating, because it is a floating laboratory, it measures the water parameters, measures your chlorine, measures your alkalinity, your pH, and then it sends everything to an application so that you as the user can get a very simple thumbs up or thumbs down on what you should be doing with your water. And so that's the kind of uh, main goal of what we're trying to build. Yeah, and I'm so excited about it. I got one for my own pool and spa, <laughs> and it's amazing. Uh, you know, that's a uh, something I've sort of always taken for granted. That's the icky part of having a pool, and you just made it really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, water chemistry is no joke. There's people that have PhDs, and it requires biology and chemistry. There's a there's a lot of crazy and complex things that happens with water. Absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit about how you got and started founding the company. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my founding story is kind of two separate tangential threads. Um, the first is, you know, imagine an immigrant family growing up in Southern California. Dad used to have a chain of pool and spa supply stores. And so I was everything from a pool boy to testing water chemistry to running the pool stores and so I always, you know, grew up on my weekends and evenings and summer holidays. I was I was at the store, right? There's no there's summer vacation, but summer is also our busiest season. And so yes. that's kind of one one thread. The second is after I got my mechanical engineering degree and MBA, um, I ended up working for a small fund in India. And the the fund's thesis was to basically invest dollars into companies who were building products for people who earned less than $2 a day. So a lot of nice. the focus was around poverty alleviation, things like that. And obviously in India, a large problem there is, is, is the water. And so a lot of the deals that we got coming on our desk was around water filtration, but nobody was doing anything around water sensing. And so we were like, hey, everybody's trying to filter water, but don't you need to know what's wrong with the water first? Mm -hmm. um, and so both of those threads actually combined led us to building a product that we initially tried to sell into the Indian government. Stupidest thing a startup can do. Don't try to sell into the Indian government. Um, <laughs> we flipped that around because there was so much red tape in, in selling to the government. And I was like, hey, I grew up in the pool industry. Let's go ahead and flip this model around back in California, sell to wealthy pool owners, and then we'll do the drinking water and agricultural water stuff next. And so that's kind of the uh, how we got the company started and the vision for what we're doing now. I love that. And, and the resilience that you kept going, but changed your target audience. 
so that it gave you more runway so that you could ultimately focus on your goal. That's a really powerful lesson. What are some of the other lessons? I mean, you've mentioned COVID before we got on the on this podcast today. You've learned a lot over the last few years. Yeah, yeah. So we are about seven years old. Um, we were acquired by a large chemical company out of Canada um, about five years ago, four years ago. And in that, you know, I'm extremely grateful for them because they really helped us in giving us the necessary financial backing to bring the product into commercial maturity. Um, our launch date was on March 2020. And if we all if we all remember that date, um, we initially came to the market with an entire B2B strategy. We were going to go through distribution. We were going to go pool store to pool store um, in the kind of warmer cities, right? So Los Angeles, San Diego, Phoenix, Miami, um, Austin, Houston. Turns out two weeks later, the U.S. basically shut down all small businesses. And so everything that we knew um, in going B2B was basically slammed back in our face, right? We, we, we couldn't go into a business because we physically couldn't leave our own homes. Um, and so we, that's a blow for a new business. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so we, we went back to the drawing board. Um, and at that point it was the, the, the virtual zoom drawing board, right? Because we couldn't even meet in person and an interesting kind of silver lining is because everybody was at home and because schools were shut down, parents with, with children were really figuring out how to navigate, you know, working at home, working on zoom, working on Google meet, um, and all of them had pools in the back, but they previously used to look at their pool as a weekend thing or something that they would do over summer. But now they're like, Hey, this is a way to actually entertain our kids while we're trying to really navigate how to kind of work in this environment. And so as a company, we pivoted immediately to B2C. We went up on Shopify, on e-commerce. Um, all of our ad messaging was like, you know, Hey, you're stuck at home. You're trying to keep your kids entertained. Make sure your water is safe. Right. You previously didn't used to do this. And now we can help you. We can help you manage this. And so we turned, you know, something that was negative in terms of a business strategy, immediately flipped it around. And we've had a great last three years Um, coming into this year. We're actually looking at reopening our B2B strategy, figuring out how to go into pool stores and then opening up the larger strategy of drinking water, agriculture, food and beverage. So that's kind of all in the pipeline now. That's that's really great because. You've had two giant pivots, but you haven't lost what that original vision was, and you plan to come back to it. And so patience and persistence, it sounds like, are key to to your method of leadership. What else have you learned over the process? Um, I would say that people are probably the most important and biggest asset of any company. Um, and I say people as a as a very generic headline, right? Because when you're first starting a company, you obviously need to find people to build the company with, right? You need to find your employees, your colleagues, your co-founders. Um, you then need to find people that are going to invest in your company, the investors, um, the, the, the organizations that will fund the company, accelerators. Um, and then obviously you're going to need to find people to buy your product, right? Because at the end of the day, you're you're working with people all across the board and we can give different names you know there's hedge funds there's pe funds there's venture capitalists there's co-founders that have equity there's employees that don't um at the end of the day every single person is a person and so mm-hmm. you need to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right people and picking the right people 
um, both in terms of your customers, in terms of your investors, and in terms of your colleagues and your employees, because that's kind of who and why you're building the product. And so I would say, I would say finding the right people is is kind of the other learning that I've had. And in terms of that learning, what have you learned to look for in terms of finding the right people? Yeah. So the first kind of you know through line in pivoting the business model is around finding the right people to sell the product to, right? That's that's the actually most important thing because you need to make sure you're catering to the right market. So initially we thought we would be selling to the Indian government to, you know, sell to drinking water companies, um, ended up pivoting that to pool owners, two very different demographics, two very different people. Um, after that, we then need to find out who's going to actually build the product, right? Can you find a co-founder? Um, I've learned a lot in finding a, a good co-founder. The biggest thing that I've learned is to make sure that you can be honest and open with them because namely when things are going well, everybody wants to be your friend, but when things are not going well, that's the time that you really need to sit down and have the hard, hard conversations with people of, you know, what's going on here. How do we solve this? Mm -hmm. um, and then from the investor side, all money is not equal, right? When you look at a dollar coming into your bank account, sure, it's a dollar, but the stress and the work that you're going to have to take in managing those investors, make sure you find investors that are right for your company that understand your market and more importantly, are going to work with you as a new entrepreneur, as a new founder, because you're both going through this together. And if they can understand kind of how to hold your hand and help you through the through the world as well, that's also what you're looking for. Not somebody that, you know, constantly berates you or makes you feel negative, because that also doesn't help you when you're trying to run a company as well. Right, right. And having those relationships, it sounds like, has, has really gotten you through. Um, how do you... Like personally, how do you look for those people? Do you interview them? Do you um, take referrals? How, how have you found them on the investment side and the business partner side? Yeah, I think referrals is a very underlooked part of how to build a network. Um, also, you know, I'm going to I'm going to put that in quotes of how to build a network. It just it sounds very dirty, right? In the way that this word network is used and it seems very, I hate to say this, but capitalistic and profit-driven. Like I'm going to transactionally meet you because you're going to help me with something. Um, I think networks should be viewed as way more organic. Of how do you how do you give um, with really nothing that you can get in return, but in the hopes that something will come out of it later, right? The universe will provide what it should provide to you because nobody can ever predict COVID. Nobody can ever predict these world events, and when things happen. You just want to make sure that you've surrounded yourself with the right group of friends, family, and colleagues that are going to help you get through it. And so that's why I say referrals, right? Because if you're building out your network, and I'll use the word network, as mm -hmm. a kind of onion, right? Your, your closest mm -hmm. confidants that are right next to you usually will refer people that are just on the ring outside. Um, and as you kind of get further out, you'll end up with your really close friends all the way on the spectrum to your acquaintances. Every single person in that ring will generally feel and act the exact same way because you've built them through referrals and your friends' friends are usually very similar to your friends because mm -hmm. they're your friends' friends. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of the, the way that I've found people that are, that are qualified to, to work for Sutro, to raise money from. Um, another trick that I've actually learned from the investment side is as founders, you should probably talk to founders that are one level mature than you in terms of a stage, right? So if you're a seed stage startup, you probably want to talk to founders that are in series A. 
And in those founders that have done the Series A work, they've already gotten through their seed stage, right? They've hit in product market fit. They've probably raised that first round. They've sold a few products. Not only is there learning in that Series A founders mentorship and helping you get to that next stage, but more importantly, they've also raised the seed round, which means they have investors that are in their Rolodex that are not competitive to the round that they're raising right now. Whereas if you're talking to other founders that are raising a seed round, you're competing for the same seed stage dollars. Um, and so that's another that's another small trick that I tell founders is level up who you're talking to in terms of founders and then go ahead and pick their brain for how you can make your startup better. Absolutely. And, and to have been acquired already, even as all this was going on in your company was, was a big feat. And it sounds like you leveraged your network to help make that happen. What was that like to be acquired when you were still such a small company? It's um it's a it's a big thing making a decision like that, right? I think the way that I look at it is you have to put one foot after the next, right? And I think people end up in analysis paralysis a lot of like, this is my baby. Should I, you know, acquire this company? Am I not going to be able to see this thing through? Um the thing that I tell people is hindsight 2020, right? Look at look at your life from where you stand today and what it was backwards. And there really is no through line on the decisions you made. You, you made them because you felt good about the thing that you were doing. And it was the right decision at that point in time to get you where you are today. There's an infinite number of possibilities and infinite number of decisions you could have made. But if you're too busy focused on what you're doing right then, you're never going to make that next step. You're never going to arrive to where you are today. And so I sometimes tell people just, you know, take, take out a piece of paper and write out your five biggest decisions you've made in the last five years or two years and you'll very quickly realize there actually is no through line. You've just made those decisions because they were good at that moment. Mm -hmm. And do you think taking that paper out and helping kind of think about the coming decisions is helpful or how do, how do you handle that part? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting um, thought experiment. Actually, I really follow um, Nicholas Nassim Taleb's book, The Block Swan. Um, I think plans are good, first of all. Um, if you make a five-year plan, that's great, right? You're, you're seeing the North Star, you're seeing where you should go, but you shouldn't get so fixated on the five-year vision to where you lose thought of what's actually happening today. Um, what I mean by that is imagine a company, I'll, I'll use the COVID example again. Imagine a company back in you know 2018 that had put a five-year plan together. Right in the middle of their five-year plan, they end up with a huge pandemic that basically upturns everything that they've, that they've done. The way to solve that issue is not to lose track of what that five-year plan was, but more importantly, understand what the North Star is, right? What are you actually trying to accomplish in that five-year plan? There's probably an infinite number of ways that you can do that. And what you should really do is build resilience and redundancy in the shorter-term plans that nest up to add to that five-year plan. And that's actually the way that I look at the way that we continuously move, which allows us to be more agile and pivot a lot more quicker because we look at things in smaller chunks that are executionable and actually doable in a smaller scale with higher redundancy with this North Star knowing that we're actually traveling in this direction. Um, and so that's kind of how I would, you know, say what we should look at moving forward versus backwards. That's great. Where did you learn to have this mindset? That book is obviously a part of it, but in a broader perspective, you, you seem to have a very strategic and thoughtful but yet really flexible and adaptable kind of mindset. Where did you learn that? Um, I, th I think it's actually just a, a 
combination of things. So the first definitely is, is the Black Swan book that kind of opened my eyes to more of a process. Um, the second is probably the OKR methodology, objective and key results methodology by, by John Doerr. He has an amazing book called Measure What Matters. Um, that gave it a little bit more pen to paper in terms of um, how to be resilient. And the third, I would say, is honestly just meditation. I've, I've baked in meditation into my practice um, probably for the last three years. And mm -hmm. it really just allows me to stay in the present moment because at the end of the day, the future is what the future is. The, the past has already happened. And really the only moment you have is the present. And the OKR methodology and the Black Swan end up bringing more of a process to that sort of present mentality. And that's what I would, uh, that's what I would say kind of brought me here. Ravi, those are such good insights for our listeners, CEOs and founders who are on their own journey. This is a community that we have here at the CEO and Founder Magic podcast. It's really been great having you on the podcast today. For any of our listeners who want to get in touch with you, what is the best way? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn at Ravi Karani. Um, shoot me a direct message. I, I mostly respond to all of them. And then if you really need to get a hold of me, you can email me at ravi at ravikarani.com. Great. Well, we're really excited about the future of Sutro, not just for the pool and spa industry here in the States, but your larger mission of helping water in India and around the world. Very inspiring. So glad to have you on the podcast today. And for those of you who are interested in being on the podcast yourself, you can reach us um, at our uh, landing page, uh, keo.biz slash book today. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to CEO and Founder Magic, the podcast for entrepreneurs with stories to tell about your success. If you felt like this podcast interview captured your story, would you share it on social media? It's easy. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on your social account. Be sure to use hashtag CEO Founder Magic and tag anyone you think would be a great guest. I love to see your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. So to be sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe and we'll be excited to have you listen. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. And if you know of other business-to-business -business company CEOs who have compelling stories and who might like to be on this program as well, please visit keo.bz slash book today. That's keo.bz slash book today. And if you want to know more about our fractional CMO program, just go to our website, do a a search on services for fractional CMO, or you can follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at KEO Marketing. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm Sheila Clefcorn, and it's been a pleasure having you on CEO and Founder Magic.